Today we're going to be in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. And I'm just going to read verses 9 through 13. Today we're talking about family. Family. Not, not necessarily your personal family, but God's family. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful privilege to be a part of God's family, isn't it? Boy, it's good to be surrounded by people with a common purpose and a common Savior. And uh, so today we're going to talk about how we should love and fellowship with our family. So Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 9, we're going to read through verse 13. 12 verse 9 says, Let love be without dissimulation. That word dissimulation means hypocrisy. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor, resist that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another. Not slothful in business, fervent in prayer, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of saints given to hospitality. Amen. Let's, let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for this morning. We thank you for our church family. Thank you for Temple. And thank you for a time where we get to come together with our family. Lord, I love our family reunions that we have every week. And Lord, I'm praying today that you would speak to us, challenge us, encourage us, Father. And Lord, as always, Lord, I pray that you would take center stage. Lord, if you don't show up, Lord, this is, uh, this is all in vain. Lord, I felt you in the worship. I know you're here. I know you're present with us. So, Father, I pray that you would help me stay out the way. Lord, that you would pour into me so I can be poured out. And, Lord, encourage others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Um, I know some of you may be wondering where Pastor Malcolm is. He's like, this is July. He said he's taking a month of June off. Where is he at? Uh, I promise you he'll be back next Sunday. Next Sunday he'll be back. And uh, he is right now, I think he's in Florida with his brother and doing what he's supposed to be doing, which is relaxing, taking time off, recovering, refreshing his mind and uh, just getting away from stress. Now, unless you've been in ministry, you don't know what that's like, having stress on you. It's a different type of weight. I know we've talked about it before, but ministry is a different type of weight. I know we have um, um, people in here with marvelous work ethic, man. You own businesses, and you have your own type of stress, and I'm not taking away from that. But ministry is a totally different animal. Uh, it, it wears on you over time. So I'm thankful he's able to have this time off to recover. Uh, but he will be back this July. Uh, this July, and this says July. He'll be back this Sunday, next Sunday. And he started, he's starting a series. He wanted me to make it known that he's starting a series in the book of Mark. And so he wants to challenge you to go ahead and start reading ahead. All right, do some homework. All right, he's, he's telling you, go ahead and start reading the book of Mark. He's going to start a series starting July. Uh, 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 why I keep saying July? It is July. He's starting it this coming up Sunday. And uh, he's wanted to start in the book of Mark. So go ahead and start studying that. If you were to follow me around in my family... If you were to be a fly on the wall watching my family, you would get to observe all kinds of things. Uh, as I'm sure as if we got to follow you around, we'd observe all kinds of things in your family. But if you was to follow me around, you would notice that uh, we sit at the baseball field a lot. My son plays baseball, and so you might follow us to the baseball field sitting in that 110 degree hot weather for 12 hours, sweating, sweating away, watching my son play baseball. Or maybe you would watch and, and see me and my daughter fight each other because I'm trying to give her a hug and she's using all her strength to resist that hug. And uh, over time, I will always win out and I will, I will always hug her no matter how bad she doesn't want me to. 
Or, or maybe you'll, you'll see me and my wife having a conversation, and I'm, I'm a jokester, and I like to be sarcastic. And so uh, I like to just say funny things and sarcastic remarks, most of the time at the wrong time. Um, and so you'll, you'll notice me uh, saying some things at the wrong time and my wife giving me that look. You know, <laughs> men, you know the look. Like, shut up, all right? <laughs> I will cut you if you do not stop talking. Uh, and so you'll notice my wife giving me that look. And, and you would notice a lot of times that we spend a lot of time together. Last night we sat on our bed in my bedroom and we played phase 10. And uh, we, just, we just love being together. We, we love spending time together. We, we, love, we love going to the pool together. We love going on trips together. We, we love sitting down and talking about what they learned in church that Sunday or that Wednesday night. We like to talk about and rehearse, like, what did you talk, what y'all learned tonight? And, and you'll notice that in our life, that nobody does life alone. Like, there's no lone rangers. Like, we're in this together. We, we walk through this life together. And, and, and last year with Tracy's ca- uh, battle with cancer, man, that was a hard time. And so as a family, we had to come together. Like, we really had to stick together during that difficult part. Man, we cried together. We prayed together. We, we praised the Lord for the good responses and the good, uh, the good news at times. We would praise the Lord together. And in the context of my family, in the good days and in the bad days, we are together. That's family. And the good and the bad, we're together. And I don't know if you knew this or not, but when, when, when Jesus established the church, when he put the church together, he called and he commanded his family, his church, to be a family. When you were brought into relationship with Christ, you were also brought into a family. And I don't know if you really understand the magnitude of that. But, but some of y'all come from some broken families. Some, some terrible families. And, and, and you probably think to yourself, if I could do things differently, I, I wish I wouldn't have had the family I had. Well, now you're brought into God's family. And I don't care what your father was like, but now you have a heavenly father who's perfect in every way. He's a giver of good gifts, and he loves you with an unconditional love that just doesn't make sense. And so you're brought into this family. In John chapter 1, verse 12, I don't think you all have it, and that's fine. But John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, But as many as received him... To them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So here's what that is communicating. The church, first and foremost, is a family. It's a family. Church is not an event that we attend. It is a family in which we belong. Before church is ever an event... Church is not meant for entertainment. Church is more than an address. Church is more than a building. The church, what makes this a church is that this is God's family. Let me say it another way. Church is bigger than something you watch online. Now, I'm thankful for online services. There's people traveling right now. Thank God you're turn, you turned in right now. I, I, man, I appreciate you on vacation watching right now. But there's some people who take advantage of that. And this is the only church they get is through here. And I want to say it's bigger than watching church online because church is a family in which you belong. You need to be with your family. You need to be in a building with your family. And so before we describe the church as anything else, we must always know that the church is a community, a community of believers. And here's the thing. You can't be in community by yourself. 
You, you can't be in community. You have to be with others in order to be in community. And for, in order for us to be the church, we must be together in some type of way. And so just like in my family, where we're together and we go through good times and the bad times, that's what the church needs to be. It's a place where people get together and they're for each other in the good and in the bad. They celebrate the wins. They, they pray for each other. We're called to do life together. And when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you're called to be part of the body of Christ. You're brought in to be a part of the body. And so you're not alone anymore. You're, you're part of a family. In other words, when, Jesus, when you come to Jesus for salvation, He throws the church in for free. You know, it's, it's a bonus. You get to be brought into something bigger. And so there should be a part of you that is not only desperate for God, but also to be desperately a part of His family. And I've said this before, I've, I've seen it so many times in my life in ministry, what you find out is people's first step away from God, the very first step is always away from God's family. When you start seeing people missing church, when you start seeing people out of church, usually that's a good indication that they're starting to take a step away from God. The first step away from God is always from His family first. And so we are called to be a part of this family, be in relationship that's what God desires for His family. That's, and, and we stepped into a relationship with God. Did you know we've all been adopted into His family? Yes. Galatians, Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5. It says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem, to buy back them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. There is no such thing as a natural-born citizen of heaven. Everyone who's got there has been adopted in. Everyone in this room has faith in Jesus. You have been adopted into His family. He is your Heavenly Father. You've been brought into His family. And so if you've been brought into the family, there is an expectation that we do fellowship with our family. That we belong. That we show up. That we're together. That we let people into our lives. And this is where we get to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, we start finding some family dynamics. How are we supposed to treat each other in the family? And so, in verse 9, I'm going to read again. Verses 9 through 13 of Romans chapter 12. It says, Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love. In honor, preferring one another. Not slothful in business or busyness, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitalities. So if you were to sum this up, boil it down, what this is telling us is that as followers of Jesus, we are responsible for embracing every opportunity there is to enjoy fellowship with one another. We, we have a responsibility to enjoy fellowship with one another. And so you may ask, what does this look like? What does that look like to enjoy fellowship? What does it mean to fellowship? Well, here it is. Fellowship is living out our relationship with God by being together with other believers. You cannot do this in isolation. You are not an island. And I know I'm preaching to the choir right now because you're here, right? Like you're together right now. But did you know... You can be together and still be alone. You can be in a room full of people and still feel lonely. Just because you're present doesn't really mean that you've joined up. 
You can just be spectating. You can just be floating in and out, not really connected in any capacity. So just because you're in the same building doesn't really mean that you're really enjoying the fellowship and the family that you get to have as being part of God's family, as being adopted into His family. So today what I want to do is I want to talk about three ways that you can enjoy fellowship with one another. All right, y'all ready? Amen. All right, so if you have your outline, number one. We enjoy fellowship by loving one another. The first five words of verse 9 are so important. He says, let love be without dissimulation. Again, dissimulation means hypocrisy. And the word love there is the Greek word agape. Agape is the kind of love in which God loved us. It is that unconditional, sacrificial, do-what-it-takes kind of love. All right, that's the love in which God loved us. And so here's what he's saying. He's saying that you, when you love people, there should be no hypocrisy. There's no manipulation. You're not working angles. It's a pure love that you're loving others. I've always wondered what it might be like to have identical twins. I'm talking about identical twins. Does anybody in here have identical twins? I don't, I don't know. Anybody? Oh, okay, over here. Uh, over here, okay. I, I always wonder what that might be like. Because I know me, and I would get them mixed up. I'm gonna be because babies already look alike when they're little, but when they're identical, my fear is when they would be born, they would be born with one name, and then I'd raise them with a different name, and then might sometime during that process change their names again, and we just don't we just lose track of who's who. That would be my biggest fear. It's like how do you know which one's Ryan and which one's Brian? I don't I don't know. They look alike, and so we're just gonna go with it. And I was talking to a family one time who had identical twins, and I said, okay, how do you know which one's which? Like, what's the secret? And the mom's like, that's easy. I was like, for you? I'm like, what's, what's, how's it easy? She says, well, one of them has a birthmark on the upper part of his leg, and so we know which one's which. I'm like, that's what God would have to do for me. He would have to mark one of my kids be like, okay, Andrew, don't get them mixed up. I put this here to keep you straight. And so I started thinking about that, that one was birthmarked to be able to identify one for the other. Do you know as believers in Christ, we have been birthmarked? We have a birthmark placed on us from the moment of salvation that helps tell us apart from the rest of this world. Because we should be able to look different. So when people look at us, they should be able to see that something is different about us. Do you know what God has birthmarked us with? He has birthmarked us with love. It is our love that makes us different from the rest of the world, that helps us stand out. This is what He does. He places on our life this birthmark of love. In John chapter 13, verses 34 through 35, this is what Jesus said. He says, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have what? love one to another. What separates us, what makes us different is how we love. It's the love we show others. We have all been individually, if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you have been individually changed by the gospel. 
Right, that is then a work inside of you that should be poking out of you. And so if we confess that we have fallen short of God's standard, that we have fallen short of His holiness, then we now need a place to put our faith in. And we put our faith in Jesus. And what happens is He comes and rescues us and saves us and redeems us and brings us back into relationship with Him. And if we're brought into relationship with Him, then we're also brought into relationship with His family and a community of people who have also been changed by the same kind of gospel we have been changed by. And as we walk in fellowship with the Lord and in community with other believers, the very love that changed us is now flowing out of us and impacting those around us. And so one of the ways we enjoy fellowship with others is by loving them the way Christ has loved us. The very love that has rescued us, that has reached down from the, down to the pit where we were and picked us up and put us on a solid rock. That very love that, that has rescued us out of sin, death, hell, and the grave is the very love that God desires for it to flow out of us. We are a conduit. All right. He pours into us so we can pour out onto others. We should not stop up that conduit. Do not stop the conduit up. Let it flow out of you. But here's the thing. This will never happen. According to Paul, he says this will not happen if your love is not genuine. If it's fake. If we're not living our lives in such a way that we are walking in intimate way with his love flowing out of us then there's no opportunity for others around us to experience that same kind of love. He uses us to funnel his love to others. And love is a big deal. And I know we got some men in here who are some tough farming men. Man, they, could, they can crack a walnut with their fist. And talking about love and stuff like that, and you're like, man, that's mushy-gushy stuff. I don't know about that. Listen, I know you can love in your own way. But we're, con- we're called to love and love is important. Matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, Paul talks about some of these gifts that have been given to us as Christians. He says, Now abideth faith, hope, and charity. Charity means love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Charity. He says, In you dwells faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of those is love. And then, in, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, we have the list of the spiritual fruit. You know what the very first one mentioned is? Love. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness. All right, he goes on. The very first one mentioned, love. And then Paul prayed for the Thessalonian church. And do you know what he prayed? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12, he says, And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. And so what Paul is addressing in Romans chapter 12, where he says, let your love be without dissimulation. He's talking to a group of people. And this was relevant in in his age, and I think it's still relevant in our age. But he's talking to people who were part of God's family whose love was fake. It was not genuine. It was just superficial, it was surface. There are people who navigate through life in God's family, and their attitudes, their words, their actions, their gestures, and everything else do not match who they claim to be. Their love is fake. It's not genuine. And so Paul is praying. He says, let your love be real. Let it be without hypocrisy. If you used to read verse 9 in the original Greek, it would say, let your love be sincere. And I like that word sincere. I like word studies. You may not know why I like but there's, there's so much knowledge and wisdom in words. And so that word sincere, let your, word, let your love be sincere. That word sincere comes from a Latin word, sincero. And it means without wax. Let your love be without wax. You're like, that doesn't make any sense. It does. 
Because in history, history tells us that, that uh, people in Greece and Rome, when they would make sculptures or they make jars or pottery or whatever, if there was a crack, if there was a hole or a chip in the pottery that they were making, they would melt wax and they would put it over that hole. And they would seal it up and then paint over it. And by the naked eye, you couldn't tell that it had ever been anything wrong with it. And so then they would sell it, and the person would take it home. And if that jar heated up, guess what would happen? The wax would melt, and any liquid inside that vessel would begin to leak out through the cracks and the holes in it that were sealed up with wax. And so what they began to do, the honest sculptors and the honest potters, what they began to do is they began to stamp their pottery with the word sincero. Sincere. In other words, it means without wax. In other words, when they would present that vessel, they say, It is as it appears to be. There is nothing hidden in it. It is as it appears to be. And this is the kind of love in which God is commanding us to love each other with. When we love someone, we're saying, Listen, there is no catch. I'm not trying to manipulate you. I'm not trying to get something from you. I'm not trying to work some angles here. It is as it appears to be. It's sincere. It's genuine. This is so familiar for us because when we look at Judas, a man who walked with Jesus, who was there for all of the sermons, he was there for all the baptism services, he was there for the miracles, he was there for the feeding of the 5,000, he was there at the Last Supper, He was there present with Jesus and his people all the time, yet we see his love was not genuine. It was hypocrisy. It was fake. It wasn't sincere. And hypocrisy is the opposite of love. Those things cannot exist together. And so Paul says, if we're going to enjoy fellowship with one another, we have to make sure our love for each other is sincere. The easiest place it should be to love people should be in here. The easiest place it should be to show genuine care and and compassion for other people should be within the family of God. It should start here and funnel out. And so we should have sincere love for each other. Now, the second way. Now, let me let me give you a challenge on your handout. I'm giving you some challenges. I want I want you to I want you to ask these questions, pray about these things. And and so before we move on to point number two, I I want you to promise me that you're going to take these these challenges serious. In your handout, I have a question I want you to pray about. I want you to go to the Lord, and I want you to pray about this question to the Lord. Get alone with the Lord and say, Lord, when it comes to loving your family, am I pretending to be something I'm not? Take a moment sometime this week and just get alone with the Lord and say, Lord, when it, when it comes to loving your family, am I pretending to be something I'm not? And listen, he might expose some things, and it might get ugly. But take a moment and pray that sometime this week. Number two, number two, we enjoy fellowship by honoring one another, by honoring one another. In verses 10 through 13, Paul gives us 10 different family obligations. He breaks it down. He gives you 10 different family obligations. We're not going to cover all 10. I'm just covering a select few. If you want to go study it for yourself, have at it. All right. But we're just going to cover a few of them. But one of them is, he says in verse 10... Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. 
To give honor means that you recognize and acknowledge the value of someone else. Did you know as believers in Christ or just in people in general that God has created us in His own image? That intrinsically we all have value and worth. Our value and worth doesn't come from our lineage and our legacy and our last name. It doesn't come from our tax bracket. Our our value does not come from the people that we know and the things that we have done. Our value is intrinsic. It was given to us the moment that we took our first breath and the borrowed breath of God come into our lives. We've been created into His image. And therefore we have an intrinsic worth. To honor someone means that you understand the value of that person. That in this church there is no hierarchy. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. I'm not better than you. You are not better than me. We are all sinners. We are all beggars looking for bread. Okay, so there is not one better than another. We are all equal. Does that make sense? And so to prefer one person to another doesn't make sense because we're all created from the same dirt. All right. I said it before in our Wednesday night study in James that we are all just dignified dirt. That's all we are. And so of all places, it should be able, we should be able to show honor to other people. It should be within the family of God. Amen. Rodney Stark, who is a historian, he wrote this about the church in Rome. He says, the church was the only place in the whole Roman Empire where people of different ethnicities and classes got along. Because they saw each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, united by a common problem, a common savior, a common purpose, and a common future. He says there was no, no hierarchy. Everybody got along and everybody belonged because in the church, in the church, everybody had a common purpose, a common problem, a common Savior, and a common future. The ground is level. This is the idea. To honor someone means it's a you-before-me attitude. I want to see you win. I want to help you. I want you to do great. And so it's you before me. If you really want to know how you're doing in this area, ask someone you know and trust that will tell you the hard answers. Because we got people in our family or in, 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 your, in your network of friends and family that you can go ask them a question and they'll lie straight to your face. They'll tell you what you want to hear. Find someone who will tell you the truth. All right, Find someone who will speak the hard things to you. I want you to go to somebody and ask them this question. All right, you ready? Here's another challenge. Do you think I consider others more important than myself? Just say, hey, I got a question for you. Do you think I consider others more important than myself? And then don't say a word. Let them talk. Don't don't try to clean it up. Don't try to explain it. Just, do you think I consider other people more important than myself? See what they say. See what they say. All right, number three. Number three. We enjoy fellowship by serving one another. Look in verse 11, Romans chapter 12, verse 11. He says, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. You know, one of the best ways we can serve God is by serving God's family. One of the best ways you can serve God is by serving God's family. Look in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. Paul says this in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. As we, therefore, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. You know what he's saying? He says, start with the family first. If you can serve anybody, it should be with the family first. This should be easy, people. 
Loving each other, celebrating each other, serving each other. It should be here. And if you continue on this passage, Paul is going to lay out different ways that you can serve each other. And so, letter A in your handout, one of the ways you can serve each other is through life. Just by going through life with them. Look in verse 12. Verse 12. He says, Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation. Patient in tribulation. You know what that means? When we're walking through life with people, we're going to have to walk through hard times. You know what's worse than walking through a hard season of life? Walking through a hard season of life by yourself. I mean, nothing compares to that. And I have experienced this kind of love and servitude in my life firsthand. You know, I, I bring up the whole cancer thing with Tracy, and, and I'm not trying to harp on it. I'm just, that was such a, a, a monumental thing for us, seeing God move in that capacity. I mean, it's going to be a landmark of faith for us and our family for the rest of our life. I mean, God just showed up and showed out in so many ways. I can't, I can't help but talk about it. You know what I'm saying? So I'm not trying to get pity. I'm not trying to be like, oh, no, I, I just, I'm trying to brag on God here, Right. And so I've seen how people can serve through hard times of life. And, and I'm, I'm not the best at asking for help. I don't, it makes me feel funny. I don't want to ask people for help or handouts or nothing. I'm going to figure it out. Okay, I'm going to, if I go to, go, to, go to Walmart and hold up a sign, I'll do something. But I'm not going to ask people, you know, hey, can you give me $20? I, not that I ever needed it, but I just don't like asking for people for help. And so when people would come up to me during that time last year, when they would say, hey, how can we help you out? I'd be like, hey, we're good. And we're fine. We're good. And they caught on that I was not going to tell them what we needed. <laughs> and so what people eventually did is they just started inserting their help in my life, you know, like whether they, I said I needed it or not. And, and so people would say, listen, Andrew, you're going through a tough time with your wife. How can we help you? I'm like, I don't know. I don't really have anything. And so I had a couple of ladies say, well, this is what we're going to do. We're going to come to your house two times a week and we're going to clean it for you. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Somebody else said, hey, don't worry about cutting your grass. I'm going to come mow your grass every week. Don't worry about that. That's the last thing you need to be worried about. We're going to come to your house and mow your grass. It's like, oh, thank you. I'd have people come up to me and shake my hand, and they'd have a $20 bill in it or something like that. And, of course, I'm like, no, dude, take it back. I don't want that. And they said, listen, gas is expensive, and you have to eat, and you have to take care of those kids. And God told me to do this, so you better take it. I said, okay, I'll take it. I'll take it. And God would just allow people to keep coming into our life and serving us and helping us. And, 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 and man, there's a dear sister of Christ that we know who owns a restaurant close by. And she came, she, I came in there one morning and she says, Andrew, until we hear the words remission, you eat here for free as much as you want. Bring your kids in. We'll feed them. And here's the thing. I ate there more before that moment than after. Because I didn't, I felt like I don't want to take advantage, you know. So I just quit eating at the restaurant. I just felt so weird about that. But she said, "Anytime you want to come and eat, and it's on the house. We'll take care of your kids. Don't you worry about it." I'd have people pick up my kids from school, bring them to their house, and they. My, sometimes my kids would stay there two or three days, which was marvelous because it kept our kids' minds occupied. They didn't have to worry about what's going on with mama. They're just playing with friends and hanging out and going fishing and swimming and and, and listen. There's a lady who we never even met, didn't even know her, but she followed our story on Facebook and she said, you know, when I read your story, God just put an image in my mind 
And I just wanted to paint this for you. And she sent us a painting that she did. And it's a picture of Tracy standing in the fire. And it says that there was another one in the fire. And it was just this a moment of encouragement from a lady we never even met before. Churches all over the country sending us cards of encouragement. Schools holding prayer meetings outside the flagpole for my wife and my family. I'm telling you, there was a moment I called Malcolm, Pastor Malcolm. I called him up. I said, preacher... I don't know how anybody can go through this without God and without the church. I don't know how they could make it. I mean, we just saw an amazing outpouring of God and support through His people, through walking through a hard time of life with us. Man, you want to love and serve and fellowship with your family? Walk through life with them. They need you. They're in the difficult times. And and that's why here at Temple, you hear us talk a lot about life groups. Because... We believe it's so important that you do life together, not just for the bad days, but just in days that you need each other, period. You're going to have good days and bad days, but you still need each other. And in so doing, and here's the thing about life groups. Some of y'all might think we just make this whole life group thing up because we're trying to be trendy. We're trying to be relevant and cool because other churches are doing life groups. Did you know life groups are biblical? Let me, let me give you some scripture on why we do life groups. Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. It says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So these are saved folks. These are brothers and sisters in Christ, right? These are believers. And it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, and fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together, and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men. As every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple. All right, so that's at church. They came to church together. And then look, it says, and breaking bread from house to house. Then they went to fellowship in the homes. What does that sound like? Life groups, right? Did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Praising God and having favor with all people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. So at Temple, we have life groups to help facilitate a biblical principle. That they would go, the believers would go to church, and then they would go to homes. This isn't something that Temple made up. This is something biblical. This is why we do this. And I know some of y'all have tried life groups. I know some of y'all have attended some life groups, and you got discouraged. Maybe it was the wrong fit. Maybe it was the wrong time. Maybe you felt like you didn't get a whole lot out of it. I understand been there, done that. Okay, I'm being transparent. I I understand what it's like to be a square peg in a round hole. Like, I don't think these are my people. Right? And I understand that. But I have found a life group that I can jive with now. They're my people. And I love them. And we do life together. We have bonfires and pool parties and we game nights and we eat good. But most importantly, we study the Word of God together and we pray for each other. Hey, when somebody in our life group hurts, we all hurt. When somebody in our life group has a praise, we all praise God together. When someone in our life group has a need, we all come together to try to help and supply that need. There have been times where we hear of a church member that has been admitted to a hospital. And so a staff member will go up there to try to be an encouragement to that person. And that that staff member will get to the hospital and there's 12 people already in the waiting room waiting for that person. Guess who those 12 people are? Their life group. They beat us to the hospital. 
That's why it's so important. When I was over TSM, the student ministry, you know, we had 150, 180 students in the student ministry. And, and I don't have a good brain, all right? That's why I write stuff down. My brain doesn't hold information. And so it's hard for me to know all of, of their names. And, and I would tell them time and time again, I'd say, listen, if I don't know your name, I can't know your pain. Right? If I don't know you individually, it's hard for me to know what you're individually going through. I, I, I don't know each individual struggle. And so that's why we had small groups. And they would go into a group with 10 to 12 other people their age, and they have a small group leader. And that small group leader would care for them and pray for them. And that group would pray for each other and encourage each other. And if there was ever some kind of need, that small group leader would then relay that need back to me so I would know what's going on. But it makes, it makes things smaller. This big old church is intimidating, and it's hard to find relationships if you're not connected. We have had church people get mad at us, call us, and nearby cuss us out because they had a death in the family or a medical emergency, and nobody from the church checked on them. Well, I understand that to a small degree, but here's the thing. They never called and told us what was going on. There's 2,000 of you... And we have 11 pastors on staff, from children and youth and, 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 and administrative and all that. There's 11 of us and 2,000 of you. And here's the thing. The person may not have been connected to a life group. That person wasn't serving on any kind of ministry. And, 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 and I'm just going to be honest with you. If you're not connected in some capacity here at Temple, it's really easy for you to get lost in the shuffle. It's not intentional. I promise you it's not intentional. It's just reality. There's 2,000 of you. 11 of us can't keep track. We, can, we don't know what's going on with every individual in this place. That's why it's so important that as you join up in the family of God, that you begin to join in with the family of God, that you start serving or you start going to a life group. So that way this big church gets smaller and you have people who care for you and love you and know your struggles. So on August 27th, you can write that down, put it in your phone, calendar, whatever you want. But on August 27th, we're going to have Life Groups Connect. And this is an opportunity, if you're not in a life group, that you can get connected to a life group. But starting today, starting today, and for the rest of this month, we're going to have a table out front. You probably already saw it, it had the balloons. Some of y'all were looking at it like, what is this about? Here's what that's about. We need life group leaders. We do. We have people trying to get into a life group and know where to put them. Ever since COVID hit three years ago, our life groups took a dip and they've never bounced back. You know, everybody was scared to go to each other's houses because they're going to get contaminated. Right. And so everybody quit going. But it's been three years. We're safe. You can go to people's houses again. Amen. And so now we need to start recruiting life group leaders. And that's what that table is out front is if you want to join up and be a life group leader. That you can go and sign up and say, hey, I'm interested. Now, I know, I know you might be intimidated because being a life group leader in the past is a huge requirement. There's a lot of commitment. They would meet for the entire year and only take the month of August off. I'm like, that's a lot. That's a lot. So we're changing some things up. This year, we're going to go to a semester type of program. And so we're going to start with a fall semester that begins in September and ends in November. It's 11 weeks. And then we're going to take seven weeks off. And then we're going to start at the beginning of January. We have a winter semester that goes from January to March. It's 11 weeks. And then we're going to take spring break and we're going to take Easter off. And then we're going to meet again from April to May. 
This is our spring semester. And it's a six-week semester there. And then we take the entire summer off from June to August. So all together, you will meet 28 weeks of the year. If the average life group meets for two hours per week, that comes out to 56 hours a year. That's nothing. 56 hours a year, that's nothing. So we're lessening the commitment. Now, some of you are already in life groups, and you're thinking, well, I don't want to do that. That's fine. Keep meeting like you're meeting. I ain't going to stop you. You want to meet every week? Meet every week. I don't care. Do your thing. But for those who have been on a fence about joining, maybe the commitment has scared you. Maybe this will give you a little bit of an intro into getting a life group member, a life group leader. And, and, and we're also changing up some things that we're doing within our life groups. That right now you can do a DBS study, which is basically taking a passage of scripture and you study it together as a group and ask questions about that scripture. The second option is every Sunday we have a sermon. And so we write sermon questions to go along with that sermon. So as a life group, you discuss the sermon together, asking questions. Now we're adding a third option. Everybody in Temple has access to Right Now Media. You can, you can join up with Right Now Media. On Right Now Media, it's an online format where they have all kinds of studies. And I'm going to put together a list of, of studies that y'all can go through. There's studies on marriage, on parenting, on divorce, on grief. You can go through books of the Bible together as a, as a life group. And so that's going to be another option that you can do. So I'm saying all this because we have people who want to get in a life group and know where to put them. People who want to be part of God's family and they don't have a way to get joined up. And so I'm using this platform to do a shameless plug for life groups. Because we need some life group leaders. And so before you leave, if you are interested in doing something like that, there's a table out front. And all we're going to do is get your information. I'm going to follow up with you and ask you a few questions. You might say, well, what's the qualifications for a life group leader? You've got to be a member. Number two, you've got to agree to the agreement. And we'll sit down and talk about all that. But you don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't need a seminary degree. You don't need five years of ministry experience. If you can facilitate a discussion, if you can pray for people and encourage people and, and care for people, then you are qualified. Right? So, I, I'm just going to leave on there. All right. Let's go and move on to letter B. Letter B. We need to be devoted to prayer. Devoted to prayer. Going back to verse 12, it says, Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. You can serve each other by praying for each other. I believe some of the reasons God allows His children to go through difficult times is because it drives them to Himself. The person who's going through a difficult time, the person who's going through a trial in their life, they pray a little bit more than occasionally. They pray pretty regular. I know last year when Tracy was going through her thing, boy, we prayed on the regular multiple times a day because it drives you to him. But man, how great is it to know that not only are you praying for you, but you have other people praying for you too. That people you know and love and you've entrusted your situation to are daily coming to the throne of grace on your behalf and mentioning your name to the God of all creation and saying, please be with my friend. He really needs you right now. I'm telling you, it's a special privilege to be able to pray for other people. And I know sometimes we don't like to know, we don't like letting people know what's going on in our life we're private like i don't want people to know my stuff i don't want them to know i'm having this surgery and and i'm gonna tell you why are you afraid they might pray for you Uh, lord forbid they might actually pray for you to get better 
right? Like, let people in. Ignore your pride for the moment. Right? Ignore the idea that I just don't want people to feel pity for me. I don't want people to feel like I'm needy. I'm telling you, one of the best ways that we can fellowship and love one another is by praying for each other. And another reason life groups are so great is because that is a, that's a group of people that you know will be praying for you. You have 10, 12, 13 people going to the Lord, praying for you on the regular. If you need it daily, weekly, monthly, or yearly, they're praying for you. All right, letter C. Another way that we can serve each other is by meeting each other's needs. Verse 13 says, distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. Distributing to the necessity of saints. Living a Christian life is not just done inwardly, it's done outwardly. We give. We're, remember, we're a conduit. We, we have God's love flowing through us. John MacArthur, he said it this way. In the eyes of society, we rightfully own certain things. But before the Lord, we own nothing. We are simply stewards of what He has blessed us with. And one of our most important responsibilities as His stewards is using our personal resources to contribute to the needs of the saints, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus gave us the parable of the Good Samaritan to illustrate that we should be the kind of people that help in any situation for any person. To the best of your abilities. And everybody's abilities are different. But if you have an ability to be able to help somebody, the best way you can serve somebody, especially within God's family, is just giving to them. Giving your time, giving your energy, maybe even giving your resources. But that you meet their needs through what God has blessed you with. And then letter D, pursuing hospitality. Another way we can serve each other is by pursuing hospitality. Verse 13 again. Distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. The word given here is the Greek word dioko, which means to pursue or to chase. The idea is a predator who's chasing his prey. It's an aggressive, an aggressive pursuit. So this is what he's saying. He's saying we should be the kind of people who fight for fellowship. Like we want it. And now I know some of y'all are like, we should have more potlucks at Temple. <laughs> yeah. You help us facilitate that and we'll let you, all right? People bringing 1,300 crockpots up here, all right? And you got one little bit old plate, all right? So I understand that you're like, well, we should have more fellowships, but you should also be the kind of person that not only wants to meet corporately, but also kind of privately. Let me understand this, or help you understand this. In the Greek, there are three major words for love that are used in the Bible. We have agape, which is the kind of love in which God loved us, that sacrificial, do-whatever-it-takes, unconditional kind of love. You have the word eros, which is like that sensual, romantic kind of love that you have for like your husband and wife. And then you have the word phileo, which is like a brotherly love, a friendship kind of love. That's where you have the word Philadelphia, the city of... Brotherly love, phileo, right? And so in this, in, this, in this verse we just read, given to hospitality, the word hospitality is the Greek word phileonoxia. Phileonoxia. You hear the word phileo? Brotherly love right there. It's a friendship love. In other words, this is what hospitality literally means when, when Paul said this. It means to entertain in one's home. Imagine that. What does that sound like? Sounds like life groups on it. Paul says we should be the kind of people who aggressively chase for opportunities to entertain in our homes. Wow. And some of you are really good at hospitality. You love it. You love having people over. 
You love getting the fancy dinnerware out. You love getting the big old punch bowl out. And you like putting the Hawaiian punch and the Sprite in it and mixing it up and everybody. You like making all the fancy things. And you like decor- you decorate for every holiday. It'd be Arbor Day. You decorate for Arbor Day and St. Patrick's Day. Put a little leprechaun out front. You just love decorating and having your house done up. Then there's others who are like me. You couldn't care less. <laughs> Sometimes when people come over, the one thing you're thinking is, I can't wait till they leave. <laughs> My papa used to get up in the middle of the conversation, and he'll, he'll walk to his bedroom and say, I'm going to go to bed so y'all can leave. And that's when he knew, it's time to hit the road. And so some of y'all, that's how you do hospitality. You have a styrofoam plate and a boiled hot dog, and you say, bon appetit. <laughs> right, that's... But here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, yes, we all have different levels of how we are hospitable, but we should all be people who are hospitable. That we should be warm and caring and friendly and willing to have people in our life to show them kindness and to be just accepting of them. And yes, Temple is a very warm and friendly church, but Temple is also a very intimidating church. It's big. It's big. Fairview, I know you're all a little smaller. But still, going to church, on period. If you don't know anybody, going to church, period, is intimidating. And so what we really need to strive to be is the kind of people who just pursue hospitality. That really want to be warm and kind and really want to bring people into the fold. Invite them to your house. Have fellowship with them. Remember when everybody used to sit on their front porch? And you would have just a neighbor walk up. And they sit on the front porch with you for 5, 10, 20 minutes, maybe an hour. Less and less houses are being built with front porches. We're starting to lose the idea of fellowship. So we need to be the kind of people who fight for it. Let's work on being friendly and warm and opening our homes to others. And again, you can do this in multiple ways. God has gifted you in an amazing way. And so maybe today you're, starting, you're sitting there and God is stirring up this desire that maybe you want to start contributing here at Temple. And there's multiple ways you can do that. We want to be able to use your talents and gifts here at Temple. So one of the ways, obviously, is being a life group leader. We desperately need life group leaders. There's a table out front that will be available for you to sign up. But also, you can join up and serve here at Temple on all kinds of ministries. The, the big illusion here is that since we're such a big church that everything's running as it should be. I'm telling you, there's gaps and holes in every single ministry. We need people to step up and start serving in all these different ministries. And what happens is as you serve in these ministries, you get to meet people and know people and get the fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ, which is a biblical mandate that we should be doing. The way we fellowship is bigger than just coming and sitting in rows. It's by joining up in life with each other. So this is a way, if you're interested in serving at Temple, you can go to 411 right out here, out there at Fairview. Go to 411 desk there and just say, hey, I'm interested in serving here at Temple. What can I do? And leave your name. And, and over here, Miss Belisa will get up with you. And she'll put you somewhere, I promise you. Miss Belisa's good. All right, she'll put you somewhere. So here's another question you can ask. Find that friend that will tell you the truth and ask him this question. Do you think I'm doing a good job of serving God by serving others? Like when you look at my life, do you think I'm doing a really good job of serving God by serving others? And then don't say a thing. Just leave it alone. God's desire for us as a church is to embrace every opportunity we have to fellowship. And so 
Let's not forget before the church is anything else, it is family first.